0: Welcome to the AV Podcast Movies Edition presented by Phil Hinton.
1: Hello and welcome to April's Movies Podcast. Coming up, we look at the latest Blu ray and cinema news. We review Goldfinger and South Pacific on Blu ray disc. And to wrap up, we look at what's coming on the AV Forums Movies website. And joining me, as always, is the AV Forums Movies Review Team. And uh, we have another new voice uh, this month, and all the way from Ireland. That's why he sounds a little bit tinny, because technology's. Not quite reached that part of the uh, universe yet is uh, Jer. Hi Jer. Hello,
2: hello all. I resent
1: that by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and another Scotsman joins us again this month. Alan, how are
3: you? Very well. Ochai the new hootsman.
1: And from Liverpool, talking about fair,
4: is Chris <laughs> McEnany. That's not fair at all. Um, hello, everybody. Nice to be back.
1: And rounding off the team, it's Simon Crust. Hi, Simon. Hi, Phil. Hi, everyone. How are we doing all? And uh, we're going to kick off straight away with some news. Let's go to Chris. Chris, good, bad and ugly?
4: Yeah, which one are you? Um, Right, yeah, one of the best films of all time, let alone one of the best Westerns ever made. Finally, after what seems like years of being put back and put back and put back again, it's making its uh, its Blu-ray debut on May the 12th this year from MGM Home Entertainment. Um, so it's going to be a region A disc priced at $29.99 do I have to introduce this movie it's an absolute classic Clint Eastwood once again yeah, the man with no name the third of the trilogy the Dollars trilogy um, although he does actually have a name in this one he's known as Blondie in this uh, he struts through the American Civil War yeah, as only the likes of Sergio Leone can paint it surrealist, bizarre, existential um, Highly psychological and very, very funny as well. Uh, made funny possibly mainly because of Eli Wallach as the great Tuco, who is absolutely outstanding. In fact, I would go as far as to say it's more his movie than anybody else's. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful movie. It's, again, Lee Van Cleef is in there as well as the big blag, blad the Blad guy, as the big bad guy of the piece. But this is a kind of film where no one's good Especially, they've all got like a huge degree of amorality about them, and uh, you have some of the best shootouts, one of the most epic shootouts and standoffs in motion picture history. It's also got one of the uh, most famous moments of, of mistiming, when a great big bridge is blown up at just the wrong time. But they kept it on film, and it looks fantastic. Um, it's an absolute classic. It, it, it bears repeated viewing, you know, until you know the day you die. Uh, I cannot wait for it, truly cannot wait for it. Disk features, sadly the news we have so far, nothing seems to be on it that I can see. Um, But we've got a 1080p MPEG-4 encode. Uh, The last couple of disks I've seen of it have looked better each time, so hopefully this is going to look even better again. Um, I, I can't help but recommend it, even though I don't know what, extra gubbins are going to be lashed onto this disc it's surely one for any film collector's shelf so there you go may 12th the good the bad and the ugly
1: and uh move on to one that we talked about at length last month uh ben button alan this is coming out on uh, blu-ray give us the details
3: it is indeed. Um, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, to give it its full title, it's coming out on May the 5th uh, this year, uh, over on the other side of the, the, the pond, uh, and uh, we're going to be treated to uh, a 1080p transfer. We don't know which codec it is as yet. Um, it's one of these films that at the Oscars that was down to uh, Benjamin Button or Slumdog Millionaire for the, for the best picture and... Um, as we know, Slumdog won, but it was a, a hard-run thing, and a decision I, I certainly wouldn't have had, liked to have had to take. Um, it stars uh, Brad Pitt, and uh, under a whole load of makeup, and it's a story of uh, a man who is born old, and as the film progresses, uh, he moves through various different eras, um, and um, he. I'm not going to tell you the end, you know, I already spoiled it last month. Um, so, um, uh, it was actually nominated in all for 13 Academy Awards and it won the best visual effects, which, uh, you know, the, for the art direction and makeup, that's three things it won there. Basically it deserved all of these, um, having seen the movie, um, I think I've said before that not once did I actually say to myself that's good makeup, and that's usually the test of good makeup. If you can sit there and believe it, um, they've suspended your disbelief, so they've done a good job. It's a grand tale of a not so ordinary man and the people and places he discovers along the way, the loves he finds, the joys and romance of life, and what lasts beyond time. The release date for that is May the fifth.
1: And moving on to Jet. And Jet, another uh, bit in the Underworld franchise. Maybe you can tell us about this one.
2: Yes, this one we've got Underworld um, Rise of the Lichens, which is the uh, third um, release in the Underworld franchise. And disappointingly, we've lost Kate Baskinsdale for this uh, installation and Rona Mitri who looks remarkably like her uh, dons the black leather and is equally as nice to look at Um, basically the story of Rise of the Lycans is the the Lycans who are the werewolves under the the leadership of Lucian who is the original Lycan rise up against the aristocratic vampires um, led by Victor and there's a pretty good climatic battle sequence. It will be interesting as well to see how this one fares on Blu-ray as it's a very very dark movie. And that's out on May 12th, um, out in America. And it's got a 1080p, AVC, MPEG-4 um, video resolution and English Dolby Digital True HD 5.1 soundtrack.
1: Excellent. And uh, we're going to go back to another classic with Chris.
4: Chris, seventh seal. Oh, yeah, absolute. Unparalleled classic. Um, Again, from Criterion, uh, unrated version, it's going to be American uh, Blu-ray. Priced at $39.95, comes out on June the 16th. Uh, I I do believe we've got a UK version of this one already, and it's one that I completely bypassed because I I also believe it had nothing on it, or nothing of worth extras-wise, which for an absolute classic like this is a a bit of a blasphemy, really. Um, It's about the Crusades, uh, disillusioned and exhausted after a decade of battling in these Crusades, uh, Max von Sydow's knight uh, returns to his homeland and encounters Death on a desolate beach. Death, as a character, who has a penchant for playing chess and uh, dipping his fingers into the uh, the mists of fate of certain characters that the knight will meet along his uh, his final sort of journey home. It's a wonderful film, um, starkly black and white, beautiful imagery, uh, a very dreamlike atmosphere surprisingly upbeat uh, and optimistic, considering that it's about death, basically, and how we're all going to face it and confront death at some point. Um, And the disc features that we have for this version are an introduction by Ingmar Bergman, recorded in 2003. We have an audio commentary by a Bergman expert with a new afterword. We have a documentary, Bergman Island, which is an 83-minute film on the celebrated director. Uh, Archival interview with, uh, with Max von Sydow. Uh, A 1998 tribute to Bergman by filmmaker Woody Allen and the film's original theatrical trailer Bergman 101 which is a selected video filmography tracing the uh, the great man's career Uh, and we have a booklet featuring an essay by critic Gary Giddings now uh, it's in its original aspect ratio of 1.37 to 1 and it's a Swedish PCM one channel mono soundtrack as well uh, now, I really am looking forward to that. That should, be, that should look dazzling on Blu-ray. It's monochromatic imagery is truly uh, to die for. So let's hope there's a lot more detail and depth added to this version then. The seventh seal, June 16th.
1: Okay, thanks for that, Chris. And we'll move swiftly over to Alan. And Alan, the Star Trek movies are coming.
4: Oh, yes,
3: something uh, for all Star Trek fans to look out for. Uh, We've had the TV series, uh, the first season uh, on high def, and now we're getting the movies, and it's coming in a, a nice box set. The box set includes Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek III The Search for Spock, and Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, Star Trek V The Final Frontier, and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. All of these will be coming out in nice high-def transfers. They've all got a whole load of extras, audio commentaries with them. Um, I think for Trekkies, they'll they'll be a must-purchase, really. Uh, I have to say, um, I, I remember seeing the first one, Star Trek The Motion Picture, in a cinema in Falkirk, and at one point all the spaceships were being hit by a laser beam and they were just disappearing, kind of a cheap effect. And the whole credibility of the show was destroyed by some smart aleck in the audience just going, when they disappeared, and that kind of took all the all the seriousness out of it for me. But um, after that, you you work your way through the series. I've I've been a, a I have i have been I would not say a, a massive fan, but I would say I've enjoyed the Star Trek movies. They're good entertainment. Um, looking through them, the search for Spock I would say is probably one of the best because it harks back to the style of. Um, the TV series and it was directed by Leonard Nimoy following on from that roundabout Star Trek 5 The Final Frontier that was uh, directed by William Shatner and that's a whole different kettle of fish um, uh, God appears in the clouds and I remember uh, a bit of a guffaw going around the audience when this visual appeared but it gets explained later on it's probably not the best one I would say uh, The Undiscovered Country is probably the best one out of the lot but then again that's just my opinion I'm really looking forward to seeing these at some point and certainly my other half is looking forward to it because she's a real Trekkie. Uh, she's even got her, her own Star Trek uniform and she occasionally dresses up on it, but th- that's enough of that. <laughs> so, um, really looking forward to see these these movies. They're, they're all going to be in uh, 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio and it looks like we're having a Dolby True HD 5.1 surround track with them and then French people will be just getting a Dolby Digital uh, 2.0 surround. And the sp- Poor Spaniards are only getting a Dolby Digital 1 mono surround. Oh, no surround, just a mono track. Um, so, something there for every Star Trek fan. And I think there's a wee bit of that in all of us.
1: Uh, okay, and uh, we'll move on to Jer, Predator 2. Please tell me your wife doesn't dress up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we've got... um. Predator 2 coming out on Blu-ray, and this, of course, is the um, Predator's second outing. He first took on Arnold Schwarzenegger in what was possibly my favourite film of the 1980s. Uh, Second time round, it wasn't met with, you know, it it didn't attain such a large fan base as the first one, but with the increased weaponry and that spinning disc that the Predator has and the... um, the extendable spear you know i i i have to say i liked it and danny glover does a fine job stepping in so it'll be nice to see this out in blu-ray and of course um it's set in the city of los angeles so we're taking the predator out of his um usual jungle bass and um, again we've got a 1080p avc mpeg4 coding we've got the original 185 to one aspect ratio and we've got a dts hd lossless uh, master audio soundtrack which should be enormous hopefully anyway so i'm looking forward to this one and that one is out on june 9th 2009 and it comes at a slightly reduced uh, list price of $30.
1: Excellent and uh, we're going to wrap up with the US releases with Terminator 2 Jar, and uh, this really was uh, a film which kind of had like the the impact uh, in 77 that Star Wars had in in actually introducing a new phase of special effects.
2: Absolutely and I mean like James Cameron really has done himself with the special effects in this one and interestingly enough um, Schwarzenegger uh, acted in Terminator 2 and gave up the opportunity to act in Predator 2 because the two of them were filming at the same time so I think you made the right choice anyway. Now, of course, everyone knows the story of Terminator 2, with Schwarzenegger returning uh, the Terminator, which is pretty much is a, an explosive action-adventure spectacle. We've also got young Edward Furlong and Linda Hamilton um, reprising our role as Sarah Connor. Um, We've also got the new T-1000, complete with morphing effects, which really was, as you say, groundbreaking um, when it came out first uh, back in 1992. Um, This is the Skynet edition, which is multiply uh, THX certified with new high-definition transfers of the uh, movie. Now, we recently reviewed um, the Blu-ray version of this on the site, and we had a few people commenting that the German HD HD. DVD version with its 7.1 PCM soundtrack offered better sound and picture quality, so it will be interesting to compare and see if this one has made any improvements over the previous Blu-ray release. Um, We've also got a lot of HD exclusive content for this with um, the uh, picture-in-picture of behind the scenes video. Uh, text commentaries and multimedia galleries. So hopefully this is akin to um, the interactive feature that was out on the Artisan Extreme Edition uh, release, which was absolutely super. So if that if that can compare to that one, that will be a welcome addition uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, There's also storyboard, script modes, interactive quizzes and games, and of course Blu-ray Live. And I'm wondering if it'll have that in My Scenes, because it will be interesting to trap a few of them, because I'm sure some of them. If the THX certification can live up to its uh, name might be some good demo material
1: so excellent so when are we expecting that one
2: we're expecting that one on may 19th and it's also got the box motion control systems which is only something that i found out about recently and for listeners who don't know what that is it's basically motion actuators that you stick underneath your sofa and they move in time to the coding on the disc. Now I actually had a look this afternoon to see was it possible to get this but it seems to be only available in America at the minute but it is an inclusion on a number of Blu-ray discs that I've seen.
1: Yeah, and you'll probably pass out when you hear the cost of that. Um, How uh,
2: much is that?
1: I had a demo of it back at Syria last year, and um, you're talking a lot of money. It's custom install equipment, so you're talking an awful lot of money for that. We
2: won't give you any figures. You'll pass out. Mm-hmm. I'm saving for a new microphone at the minute, so I might have to get that one a mix. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so to wrap off uh, the disc news for this month, we're going to go to Simon, and Simon's going to tell us all about the UK Blu-ray releases coming up.
5: Well, not all of them, Phil, you know, we're only here for 40, 40, 40, 45 minutes an hour. Um, I'm actually going to talk about June because June I think we can rightly call Oscars month because we have something like six Oscar films being released all within the first couple of weeks. We have Slumdog Millionaire. That's coming on um, June the 1st. We've got Milk coming on June the 8th. We've got The Curious Case of Benjamin Britten. Benjamin Button. That <laughs> no, would be a curious case. <laughs> Benjamin Button. He was a... Well, anyway, carrying on. We have the curious case of Benjamin Button. That's coming on the 8th as well. We have The Wrestler coming on the 1st. And right at the very end of the month, Revolutionary Road, I believe that uh, that won something very far down the list. Um, all coming in June. At the time of recording, most of these uh, are all scheduled to come out in... Um, the USA, so, so by the time we get them in the UK, um, they would have already been out in the US, and chances are we have covered them anyway. But uh, so they'll probably be very, very similar in um, picture quality, sound-wise, and extra content. Um, but it's it's great that they're all coming together in one batch. So if you're starved of your of your Oscar nominations and you must have them, you can get them all in June. But for for me, actually, I think uh, carrying on in June middle of the month on the 15th we have the 40th anniversary edition of The Italian Job you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off what a great film really really looking forward to this one when um, Alan reviewed the um, Zulu um, created quite a bit of stir and, um, uh, people were very very excited about that one I think this is going to be equally as exciting um, and it'll be very very interesting because the the, the print is, is equally as clean so it's going to be fantastic to see this in 1080p and I'm really looking forward to it so um, you can keep your Oscars as far as I'm concerned it's the Italian job for me
1: Okay, thanks for that Simon and that wraps up our disc news for this month and we're going to talk cinema in a few seconds
0: Captain Scarlet Indestructible AV com. Spectrum is green. Contact the AV Forums Podcast. Email podcast at AVForums.com.
1: So moving on, it's uh, now time to look at what's coming to this cinema. Hopefully we're gonna to start to see some of the big movies for summer. Chris, give us a rundown of what's coming up this month. What?
4: <laughs> A rundown of what's coming up then. Uh, I think the big one at the moment is going to be the animated Monsters vs. Aliens. Fantastic looking sci-fi comedy type thing. Uh, The girl grows to 49 feet and is taken to a secret government compound that houses a selection of monsters, including the insect-headed Dr. Cockroach, voiced by Hugh Laurie, the Missing Link, voiced by Will Arnett, and a 350-foot tall bug, voiced by Jimmy Kimmel. Um, But of course, it's not going to end there. We're going to have alien robots landing on Earth and, mon- and the monsters are going to be called upon to save the world in their own unique style. Uh, now, we've all seen trailers for this. I haven't read a great deal about it, as I normally would do, but I think it looks absolutely amazing. <laughs> so I know that my son is going to drag me to see that one.
1: So, Chris, uh, obviously there's there's lots of things happening um, with cinema chains at the moment buying digital projection because they want to show more of these 3d films uh this summer and this is the first big one that's going to be in 3d
4: yeah selected cinemas yeah it's going to be in 3d so obviously if you can get yourself along to a you know your nearest 3d enabled screen i recommend you do so because 3d as i've already said many times before is uh the way of the future me and james cameron seem to believe this implicitly so i believe know, it too mm-hmm, make the most of it
1: and uh the, what about you, other guys alan um You'll have seen the three D tech through the ages. <laughs> Sorry, that makes you sound ancient. That's a suggestion. That I'm old. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to make you sound old. But obviously, you've seen other inca- incarnations of this technology. Is it any good? Yes. Um,
3: well, nowadays, the the stuff that you see in the cinema nowadays is very, very good by comparison to the old uh, red and green anaglyphic stuff that really started in the fifties and then enjoyed a. Bit of a revival, I think, in the eighties when it went to a polarized version in the cinemas. Um, we're heading for uh, probably uh, the development of three uh, D projection or or three uh, D televisions in in the home in the future. Um, and but we're all looking for the latest new thing, so I think that's what's probably going to be coming out.
1: Okay, so uh, that looks interesting. It's certainly one which might get me to go to the cinema. Uh, Chris, let's run down the rest of the list and see if anything else can tempt us out.
4: Okay, well, comedy-wise, we have uh, the latest one by Richard Curtis, uh, The Boat That Rocked, Certificate 15, um, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bill Nighy, Reese Ifans and Nick Frost. I don't know a great deal about this one, but I think someone else here might do.
3: I heard a bit about this film, Chris. Um, it's uh, The book that rocked is loosely based on the adventures of Radio Caroline, um, which was the pirate radio station that really uh, came to the fore in, in the 60s. Um, a lot of people started there, like Tony Blackburn, so uh, that, they're the people who got to blame for him. It looks, it looks to be like it's going to be another good comedy sort of thing you can go along and have a good time and watch. Uh, it looks like it's, it's being fed good material to start off with. So uh, I think this is one that would entice me to go along and have a look at it. Um, I, I, so I've seen some uh, advanced clips of this. I, I actually did some filming aboard the Radio Caroline boat about two or three years ago. And when I saw the clips, they've totally recreated the, the whole environment. It, it looks so realistic. I think this will be a good movie.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Richard Cattis. He's got this knack of, of doing pretty good comedy stuff, hasn't he? So, Chris, what else is coming up this month?
4: Oh, God, for those so inclined, you have the risible latest instalment of Fast and Furious, uh, which I really can't be bothered talking anymore about. If you want to go and see it, go see it. Just don't invite me. Um, something called 17 Again. Which looks like uh, it's Mike O'Donnell. It's miraculously transformed back into being a seventeen. Now, isn't he the guy who was in the High School Musical movies? I think Probably he was. I so know. we've got a, you know, um, a time altered sort of uh, fish out of water comedy sort of thing here. Well, Thirty-year-old outlook making him look seem pretty uncool to all his his friends. I believe he meets his daughter or something as well. at The high school. So, I mean, the the obvious target market for this is is sitting, waiting to lap up this kind of high school high jinkery. So, you know, that's coming out soon. We have Race to Witch Mountain, which uh, Dwayne Johnson, a -a la The Rock, which he's a Las Vegas taxi driver picking up two runaway teenagers, discovering they have supernatural powers and finds himself caught up in the middle of a magical adventure. Now this is Disney, and I do believe this is some kind of sequel or remake of the original Witch Mountain movie. By way, way, way back in was it late sixties or early yeah, seventies? Um, so looks like pure family fun, and could well be interesting. Uh, Drag- Dragon Ball Evolution, uh, a live action version of the manga series. Uh, lots of special effects, obviously, but not a particularly fantastic looking movie, from what I can gather. Um, Again, there's a target market for this, i.e. the people who love Dragon Ball. So, you know, uh, that's coming out. And we have also, strangely, late in the day, because, you know, most people who are into this movie will have already seen it and will possibly already have the Blu-ray, because I did recommend it quite heavily um, on our site, Let the Right One In, the Swedish vampire, romantic vampire horror movie. Um, That's due out uh, very soon in uh, April. Um, now, the cinematic release of that, I've seen it several times, and you know what? I, I can recommend going to the Flicks to see it as well. It's a striking looking movie, and it's a very moving and engrossing film, so it, it could be a great experience at the Flicks. Uh, that's a certificate 15, by the way. Uh, I love you, man. I have no idea what this is. Um, Here's a little tiny write-up for it. Real estate agent Peter is engaged to the woman of his dreams. Now all he needs is a friend to be his best man, so he sets out on a series of bizarre mandates to find one. Oh, God, that sounds like absolute turgid dross again, doesn't it? It's the typical uh, rom-com style thing, which is sadly all too prevalent these days. Uh, things like Marley and Me which flickers past the screen and does absolutely nothing to, doesn't enhance anyone's life, doesn't, you know um, I don't know, it doesn't flow my boat at all, so if you feel like I love you man, then there you go. Okay,
1: well um, after going through that list, it's definitely the Easter slate, isn't it Chris? Uh,
4: It's the Easter, yeah Yeah, it's it's slowing down, isn't it but of course, what's due out in May? What's coming in May? Come on, you've all seen the trailer for it now Star Trek, May the eighth. Oh, yes. If you haven't seen this trailer for the trailer for that, oh my god, you're in for a treat. That is like, I'm going to talk about a trailer. I don't believe it, but I'm going to do it now anyway. It is a long trailer, and it's like the old school trailers where it shows you what seems to be events in chronological order. So you're watching, literally, you're watching a condensed version of the movie, and my god, it blew me away. Now I'm a bit of a a trekkie or a trekker, as we like to have ourselves known. Um, I, but I wasn't particularly fussed about this movie coming out. Uh, I don't know why. It just didn't really do anything for me. I wasn't too bothered. What's his name? Zachary Quinto looks just like Spock. But the Chris Pine from Smoking Aces, uh, a film I wasn't particularly enamored with. And I thought, hmm, the young Captain Kirk. Oh, it's going to be just a hip version. Oh, it's not going to work for me. I'm not too bothered. Oh, no, how wrong I was. Then the trailer came out and I was absolutely blown away. Now, I'm talking about the third trailer now, the newest one, and it's epic. The music, the action, everything you see in that, it looks absolutely dynamite. Federation dynamite. um, That's due out on May the 8th. Uh, I'll stop now, because otherwise I just won't shut up about it, but that looks phenomenal. Got to say, you've got to get there. I'm going in full uniform. I don't care. (laughs) Bell-bossoms and a mustard-coloured top.
1: (laughs) okay well uh, thanks very much for rounding up the cinema uh, release news Chris a bit of a mixed bag there I think our recommendation for April would be uh, Monsters vs Aliens am I correct in that
5: absolutely yeah yeah.
1: so we'll move on and it's uh, disc reviews coming up next
0: with more gadgets than Q Branch the name is Bob James this is the AV Podcast
1: and moving on uh, we have a host of blu-ray reviews for you this month and uh, we're going to kick off with chris chris a bit of classic 007
4: yeah uh, we're talking goldfinger james bond back in action for uh, his third sean connery's third cinematic outing as 007 Uh, arguably it's one of the most beloved of all the bond movies i can't imagine anyone who doesn't like this film it's it's tremendous this is the one where it, it does practically everything correctly um, you have the bold, brassy main title song, sung, of course, by Shirley Bassey. You have crackerjack editing. You have wonderful locations. You have lots and lots of humour. Connery is totally and utterly immersed in the role of 007. He now is, is, is one-liners, his sarcasm, his witticisms are, are spot on. Um, he's, he's cocksure and arrogant, as only James Bond can be. Um, it follows the book pretty... Pretty well. Um, it's not... Uh, you know, a couple of you know, major things have been changed, but um, the basic plot is still the same, except that the like Goldfinger, played, of course, by um, Gert Frobe, a German actor who was dubbed by Michael Collins. Um, he, his heinous scheme is, of course, not, as in the book, to steal the, the bullion from Fort Knox, Kentucky. It is to irradiate it, thereby increasing the stock value of his own gold market so it's a you know it's an unusual plot Uh, but again it's now we're entering the OTT sort of scenarios that Bond is going to encounter throughout the rest of his lengthy cycle as the world's leading secret agent Um, now of course this is absolutely wonderful stuff sheer 60s class and chic The suits are majestic, Um, the ladies are absolutely glamorous and gorgeous up to the hilt, Um, the burnished gold of Shirley Eaton, whose lacquered body uh, became an absolute icon during the 60s and probably still is now, Uh, looks resplendent in this new Blu-ray edition, Um, which is the second wave, by the way, of the Bond Blu-rays to be hitting the market, I mean we had the couple of well it's, not, it's the third wave isn't it we had a couple of them last year and this along with Moonraker have hit the um, the streets at the same time as Quantum of Solace on Blu-ray. The action is uh, top notch again, you have crackerjack editing from Peter Hunt who will go on to direct uh, Bond movies as well the actual direction by Guy Hamilton is phenomenal, again there's an arrogance here, there's a swagger to the movie, it's It's not a long film, it's quite a short movie, but it's uh, as far as the Bond films would would go. But it it moves at a very sort of leisurely kind of pace. But when you watch it nowadays, you kind of get the feeling that you're getting more than you bargained for. There's a lot of scenes, a lot of classic scenes in there. You've got all the the nocturnal car chase around the mountains above Goldfinger's uh, metallurgical plant in in the Alps. The massive battle at the end at Fort Knox. You have lots of school-duggery with, uh, of course, Harold Takata's infamous um, henchman, odd job. The, the squat Hawaiian bodybuilder. He's actually a Korean in a movie, but he's a native of Hawaii with his uh, steel rim bowler hat. Again, a classic, classic film. And this is the start of Bond going stratospheric. This is Bond going OTT. And it's allowed. It doesn't matter. You're in a, a very hip sort of 60s... Fantasyland. Uh, now, 1080p incarnation of, of Goldfinger. Well, we've already seen how good the Lowry Restorations are on the Bond movies, and they are glowing by and large. And this is no exception. It's a, it's a wonderful picture. It's, the the colour is now, in a way, in scenes more natural, but also it's a warmer cast to the film at large. Uh, I was very impressed with it. This edge enhancement is still there, uh, sadly, but it's... I've always seen edge enhancement on this film, as we probably all have. Um, you know, if anything, it's lesser than it ever has seemed before, and I certainly wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't put, it shouldn't put you off getting getting a copy of this on Blu-ray at all. But it's, it's in its original one point six six to one aspect ratio, uh, and detail is great. you have only got to see the opening uh, flyover of Miami, which is absolutely tremendous. All of a sudden, you've got colour in your face, you've got detail, you've got depth. It's very clear. Um, Lots lot of detail in the background, finite stuff. It's still, still there. Uh, print damage, well, there isn't any, except for one little glitch where Oddjob is driving a very unfortunate mobster who thinks he's gotten away with things to a very pressing um, engagement. And as as the Lincoln uh, Continental turns the corner, you have a frame jump. It's always been there. It's still there now. So you know, I wouldn't really worry unduly over that. Otherwise, the, the picture is... Uh, is is great. Um, blacks are nice and deep. The uh, the gold cast to a lot of the scenes is fantastic. Um, the scene where Bond infamously is strapped to uh, the table and having a laser heading towards his um, well, MI6's pride and joy. Uh, well, the laser now looks really really sharp and vivid, um, and the blacks that surround him because a very subdued, very dark interior sequence. They've often it's often drowned out a lot of detail in the background. Well it's a lot fresher looking now the blacks a lot more realistic the shadow plays a lot more convincing so the detail isn't so much lost in the background now it's enhanced so you know it gets a glowing thumbs up from me i'd give the picture an 8 out of 10 Um, sound wise now again you've got the original mono track now this is important for purists uh, you've got the mono track there as well as the dts hd master lossless 5.1 surround track now I like the surround track. I've liked all the surround tracks of the Bond movies. Um, You know, these films weren't, in these days, devised with surround sound in mind, obviously, but the stretching out of the signals, the um, little effects and ambience that are thrown out behind there, it's mainly to enhance what is already there. There's not a lot of bogus stuff there. The score sounds fantastic. Gunshots have a lot more guttural power to them. There's a, a nice sequence where Bond... Of course, with his famous um, Aston Martin DB5, he's being pursued by the Oriental um, Army that Goldfinger has at his disposal. And as he's firing off rounds at them, they fire a few rounds back at him as he hides behind the car door. The bullets smack into the you know, the inside of this car door with a really lovely thunk-thunk noise, which is it's carried so well by the track. Um, the spread across the front is good. It's good. It's it's steerage around the back. Well, there's ambience there, which is nice. The score is embellished. Pussy galore, flying circus, flying overhead. You have got some surround activity there, some some steerage, some directionality. It's not a lot, but it's there, and it's not overly emblazoned. So I quite like that. But there is one thing about the uh, the DTS lostless track, which um, Alan, who's doing our podcast tonight as well, has pointed out. And it's a real horrible little thing. Um, some people may think, "Well, so what?" But it's a classic piece of sound editing which has been ruined by the uh, the lossless track in the opening sequence, the pre-title sequence, uh, which is a great little mini movie in its own right. Bond has just disposed of another goon in the bath with a uh, he's electrified him, shocking, positively shocking. And as he walks out the door, he clunks the door shut. And straight away after the ka-chung, you should go right into um, John Barry's phenomenal main title score. But in this version, you have omitted the uh, the door clunk. Doesn't sound like much, does it? But you listen to the, the mono track and compare it to this, and all of a sudden you've lost a classic piece of timing. It's a horrible little thing that they've done there. God alone knows why. And I think the, the worst. Possible part about this is that maybe if they've lost that bit, they've lost other bits too. And not just in this film, but maybe across the board that we haven't noticed before. So there's me waxing the lyrical about this fantastic, well, or at least very respectable, lossless track enhancement that they've given it. Um, and yet, it's lost a pivotal moment of um, classic sound editing. So you know, weigh that one up. But at least with the American Region A disc, you have got the option the mono track there. So you know, as opposed to the the British version, which only has the DTS track, so you know it, it's, it's not it's not a good thing, not a good thing. And as I say, there could be more little moments as well, but I haven't really sussed out any of those as yet. Now, once again, extras-wise, yeah, you've you've got loads of stuff here. This follows, of course, all the stuff from the um, the Ultimate Editions that came out a couple of years ago, and you've got a couple of comedy tracks. Uh, one, of course, is a joint effort by virtually everybody involved in it, but this is all culled from. Documentary um, stuff in the past. Um, it, it it's good. It's it's vastly far ranging. It covers virtually everything. And then you have the second commentary, which is from director Guy Hamilton, which is a little bit drier compared to um, the other one. But it's still well worth your time and effort. Uh, a lot of detail is given there, and a lot of nostalgia and a lot of warm affection for the movie. You've got the usual sort of screen tests and people who were uh, originally casting for the part of Goldfinger. Um, they obviously weren't that good. You have uh, <laughs> on tour with the Aston Martin DB5, which is a nice little feature uh, showing what happened to the car. It's it's play it's iconic place in um in, in cult fandom. You've got two reasonably good makings of as well. One of which is the making of Goldfinger, which has all the you know the people the usual people being interviewed and talking about their participation in the movie. Connery is in there for some archived stuff. Desmond Llewellyn, Honor um, Blackman gives quite a lot of um. Um, sound bites to this. Uh, you see a lot of behind-the-scenes footage, a lot of premiere footage. Uh, this was a movie that really, really broke the cinematic mold. Up until this point, really big event movies had been consigned to the biblical epics, um, which had tons of advanced fanfare, and people loved big epic afternoon and evening swallowing films, and with you know they were lavish productions. This was a genre film, uh, which you had Doctor No you would had From we with Love. Both of which were, you know, great successes, but it really cemented everything when they knew that this film was coming out because there was a massive fan base already waiting for it. There was merchandise lined up, there was all sorts of spin-offs lined up for it, advertising campaigns across the board. It was just phenomenal. And um, this was the the advent of the big, hyped-up, mega, mega blockbuster movie. So you got a lot of footage of all of that kind of thing. Um, the Goldfinger phenomenon. Another documentary really focuses on. It's an overview of the whole production, really. Uh, you've got lots more footage. A lot of there's a lot of overlap that you'll find with these things. And those familiar with the uh, original Ultimate Edition releases, but, you know, it's it's par for the course. Really speaking, you couldn't ask for more from uh, one of these Bond releases. It's got it covers every angle. You've got vintage archive stuff there. You've got a massive image database full of stills. You've got trailers and teasers. You've got all sorts of things. It ticks off all the boxes. The one thing that you could possibly have which we'd all kill for, like Roger Moore did for his um, his Bond movies, recorded um, uh, his own solo commentary tracks, which are a little bit dry. There's a few lulls here and there, but they're, they're well worth having, though, just to hear the great man speak. Uh, well, if only Connery would do the same. Oh my God! Can you imagine the anecdotes rolling in the hay with Honor Blackman for this one? Come on, you know what's your name, Pussy Galore? I must be dreaming. Come on, there must be so many anecdotes this guy could spin about this. It would be great uh, just to hear him speak about it. Uh, but sadly, you know, it's not there. But having said that, this is still a great, great, uh, a very comprehensive selection of, of features, which no fan, you know, could ever dismiss. So, there you have Goldfinger. Uh, arguably the best of the entire run. Uh, I've still got a hankering for On a Secret Service, which I still think is my personal favourite. Uh, yes, it's George Lazenby. You know. <laughs> yes, it's possibly one of the most in- self-indulgent of the Bond movies, but can't wait for that one to come out on Blu-ray. Um, but for now, Goldfinger, you know it makes sense. You've got to have it in your collection. There it is. It's out now on Blu-ray. Looks fantastic sounds mm, great but you've got that little problem there as well uh so make up your own mind but goldfinger is an absolute classic no two ways about it
3: i would say goldfinger's probably the the probably the pinnacle of the bond films of the sean connery ones um you know it had everything it had the car it had the girls it, it had uh, a whole lot of iconic stuff you know the 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 as Chris has mentioned, the gold-painted Shirley Eaton, and uh, these are images that stay with you from childhood. I remember seeing it first. I did. I would just like to point out, I didn't actually see it first time round. I saw it probably about 1969, there or thereabouts. And from then on, I remember these images. You know, up to this day, I remember um, the impact that they made. Uh, you don't forget them. Um, so something that can do that um, has to be special. Um, as for Chris's comment, uh, uh, suggestion that um, Sean Connery should do a voiceover track, <laughs> God, no. Um, <laughs> Why not? Uh, uh, Sean Connery without a script is a pitiful sight to behold. Um, he's, he, he has all the stories, but he just needs somebody to help him get them out and somebody to write them down first and get him to agree it and then present it in an, in an interesting manner. He doesn't have the... Um, um, skills that Roger Moore has—he's well, not the I same think, kind.
4: I think you've thrown down the gauntlet there. I hope it is <laughs> that.
3: Yeah, well, he, he could probably come after me. He's a big laddie, but um, puts
4: his golf uh, clubs down for a minute and, it, and actually goes and records one.
3: Yeah, a, a totally different kind of character. Um, but you know, I haven't seen him perform terribly well in an in an interview, and I guess that's probably why he avoids doing them. Um, but fantastic actor. Well, Fant- maybe, fantastic. maybe
4: actually. Ironically, golfing is the one that maybe caused some of this because he he was so harassed by journalists and fans uh, from the you know for, for this movie in particular that it, it really from the next film onwards he was jaded wasn't he he oh, didn't yeah. really he he lost his love for playing Um uh, and particularly the whole movie making process of making a Bond movie in the first place it was getting it was getting to him. It, he was harassed all the time. He was pursued into the toilets, wasn't he? Didn't a fan even leap through the, uh, the car window at one stage? Um, and this was the film that caused all of that hysteria. So maybe being an actor, uh, he, he's like, "Well, no, I'm playing a part, and I'd rather not. I'm divorced from it now. I'll promote the film, but I'm divorced from it once I'm not actually, you know, in front of the camera." Yeah. So they, they maybe.
3: Admit- you know, when you think of Sean Connery, there aren't many um, amusing stories uh, that involve him. Uh, the only one that comes to mind uh, is when he was shooting Shalico um, uh, out in the, the, the desert someplace. Uh, Eric West. Yeah. <laughs> well, Eric Sykes played a joke on him where he dressed up as a shake and uh, of course he as he was a big star re- representing the film unit he had to um you know humor this shake and he was made to eat sheep's eyeballs and all that kind of stuff and at the end of the day um Eric Sykes whipped off the shakes outfit and revealed who he was and Sean Connery then chased him all over the set, you know. Um that's about the only th- a hu- a humorous thing I can think of that that involves the man. He's a serious man and it doesn't Mean that he's no good, not not a good actor, but he's just a different kind of person. I think uh, he, t- he takes himself seriously. Nice to
4: hear him um, talk yeah. about the movie itself, and we we don't really know a lot of his recollections about playing Bond because, as you yeah. say, he doesn't he doesn't talk about it. Maybe yeah. he literally can't talk about it. But you know, it's just one of those it's one of those wish list things, isn't it? I, I'd love to hear Connery talk about well this movie in particular because. Um, even if it was just he could string three or four words together every ten minutes or so, it would be something. I and mean, yeah. Roger Moore's ones, are, uh, they're good. They're definitely good. Um, but they're not laugh-out-loud, laugh-a-minute stuff. And he does tend to sort of meander a little bit around. But you're like, it's, it doesn't matter. You're hearing from the man himself, and that's... I that's love, I'm love. i a big fan of chat tracks, you see. I, I love them. I think they're often yeah. better and more revealing than makings of because... Well, making stuff have been designed and directed by someone else, and they're very, they're very self-promotory, aren't they? Well, a chat track can be, cannot, doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Uh, for instance, um, Clive Barker's chat track on it. going off tangent here, but only for a second. Uh, on the Midnight Meat Train, he's quite um, aggressively critical of the studio, um, and that's refreshing to hear. So the bad side of things is always, you know, a bit of fun as well. So, mm. I don't know.
2: Um, didn't, they, didn't one of the recent bonds pay homage to the gold woman scene in that with oil? Was it Quantum Solace? They covered yeah. someone in oil on the bed, there.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It did, and as we think we all agreed last time round, it was such a throwaway moment that um, it was almost like like spitting in the eye of this, wasn't it? And I, yeah, I think it was somewhere. a nice homage. Well, it was dealt with in such a well, blink, and you miss it. Well, is yeah. that it? Is that is that all we're going to get? You know, we knew what they were doing, but it just didn't seem to have any sort of weight or impact to it. Yeah, exact same true. position, she was coated in the same way, just a different colour. Um, but in Goldfinger, I mean, maybe they're saying, look, we can't possibly ever top that. We're just going to pay, you know, literally pay lip service to it. Um, there's the shot, take from it what you want. But it it could have been a great new moment, but it, I don't know. Maybe it just didn't do it for me, really. Whereas Shirley Eaton covered there is... Actually, phenomenal moment. The, the look on Connery's face is terrific. Yeah, it's well, well. <laughs> you know, Connery's actually—he's a bit crap. <laughs> Bond is a bit crap in this movie because he gets—he gets caught. He gets two sisters killed. You know, that's his doing. He's done that. <laughs> so you know, he's along for the ride for a lot of it, and I, I like that because it makes him—he's not Superman. He's not Mister Infallible. He's making mistakes. So, you know, it, it, there's a new facet to Bond being brought in here alongside all the OTT comedy as well. I and mean, let's be honest, that pre-tile sequence, a seagull, you know, floating up to the air, the dock, and it's, of course, it's, it's Connery underneath it, and of course, she blows up the air, uh, the base, the heroin base, and unzips the wetsuit to reveal a white tuxedo underneath. It's, it's just marvellously iconic and totally absurd stuff as well. And I, I like the way, as well. Actually he turns the woman round, and she she's the one who gets coshed you know that, that's wonderful that's like an early 60s more innocent spin on arnie turning that poor guy around on the escalator who gets strafed to bits with machine gun fire in total recall <laughs> an innocent human shield <laughs> <Du-du>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so from one classic to another alan you've been looking at south pacific on blu-ray and uh how does it look
3: well, South Pacific's a Hollywood movie musical from the team of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, some t- somehow I'd managed to avoid uh, seeing uh, the movie all my life, uh, despite the fact that it was actually released in the same year as I was born. Uh, like most people, I'd, I'd seen most uh, clips of the movie on the TV, and I thought that one day uh, I should probably try and get around to watching it. It's based upon a stage play musical which had its first performance in 1949 and the movie itself was premiered in March 1958 and it was one of a short list of productions that actually benefited from being shot in Todd A.O. So the film's known to almost everybody uh, except me uh, for the use of coloured filters during a lot of the song sequences. Um, As I was unaware of this, it really took me by surprise during the first musical number, and I genuinely thought there was something wrong with my projector. Then I thought someone had messed around with the colour timing on the print used for the transfer. Now, the aim of director Joshua Logan was to use colour to represent the emotions experienced by the characters. So while this gimmick exists in the language of theatre, it's sadly not in the dictionary of film. And it draws attention to Logan's technique, thereby taking the audience out of the picture. It distracts them, it takes up their attention. So Logan is said to consider this use of colour filters in, in the camera to be the biggest mistake he ever made in his filming career. All the same, the criticism of the filtering didn't prevent the film from topping the box office that year, and the 65mm Todeo photography by Leon Shamroy was nominated for an Academy Award as was the music adaptation and the sound, with the latter winning. So despite all these caveats, how, you know, South Pacific has still got an awful lot to be treasured. For one thing, there's all of Roger ha- Rogers and Hammerstein's immortal songs, Some Enchanted Evening, Bally High, There's Nothing Like a Dame, I'm In Love With a Wonderful Guy, and Younger Than Springtime. They're all performed here to perfection. In addition to this, film buffs can play the spot-the-bit part actor, I recognised a young Ron Eli, who was t- television's Tarzan, and Doug McClure, Trampas himself, among the cast. And apparently, Joan Fontaine shows up as, an, as a nurse, and she's unbilled, but I couldn't spot her at all. So after experiencing the film, I felt glad that I'd taken the time to watch it. It's, it's a historic, a brave musical, and you know I hope that m- many viewers, young and old, will take the opportunity to view it in all its high-definition Blu-ray glory. Moving on to take a look at the picture and sound. In the picture, um, South Pacific kind of sings and dances its way onto Blu-ray, and we've got an AVC MPEG4 transfer. It's presented at uh, 2.2 to one, and that's accurate to the format of the movie's 65 millimetre original. Um, so the image is, is sharp. Uh, it's not unkind to the features of the actors, and the lush colours of the Hawaiian island of Hawaii—they're absolutely beautiful. That's when they're not being tampered with by the use of filters. During the musical numbers, the filters result in almost fully saturated reds and yellows. Now, I'm glad I saw this movie on Blu-ray, as I doubt if any other format could have resolved the colours. They must have bled all over the place and been very streaky on VHS. The audio on South Pacific... It's supplied as a DTS HD lossless master audio 5.1 mix, and it makes use of the original six track stereo elements. Uh, that's what it uses for its basis. Um, you know, listening to the film, I was aware of some sound steering taking place with the dialogue. When an actor was placed towards the left of the screen, the dialogue came from the left speaker, a wee bit too far to the left, rather than locked to the centre. It was Kind of distracting, I found, and it made me look at the source of the speech or the source of the sound. Now, this would work perfectly for those of us who have got a perforated screen with the speakers behind it, but in this case, there just seemed to be too much of a gap uh, from screen to sound. Uh, the musical numbers are very well represented by the the center and the, the main front stereo pair um, and it creates a very pleasant sound image. It's punchy without being shrill. A lot of movies from this era, era uh, can sound shrill and that's largely because a lot of them had optical soundtracks. Well, this one's magnetic and a bit of care has been taken with this one. So when Lieutenant Joe Cable and Emil de Beg are spotted by the Japanese, the sound of the aircraft engines overhead makes full use of the surrounds. It's not the kind of movie to use trouser leg flapping bass, but what there was certainly seemed in keeping with the on-screen action or singing. Now those of us with the hearing of a cat will certainly spot the slight audio perspective changes when the dubbed singing voices come into play. I've never seen a movie with so many people having their singing done by someone else. But all in all, the sound's very clean and crisp. There's been some good TLC given here to a movie that's half a century old. On the extras, there's a lot of extras here. Various different audio commentaries, people uh, filling in background to the movie. Uh, we've, we've got sing-along karaoke subtitles, and they're in English only, which will be a great relief to people who don't like karaoke, who come from another country. Um, it's great for the local operatic stars, or for those who simply like a good sing-along, but can never remember the words. Um, there's a song-only option, if all you want to do is to uh, see the songs well, on disc two, there's a roadshow version of the movie. Um, the, when the movie was released um, in those days, it was fairly traditional to put it into select theatres and let it play for a year. Um, a special version of the movie was was shown there. It was 15 minutes longer than the theatrical version. Uh, now, somebody's found an original print, and what they've done is transferred the footage and cut it. It's printed by Mitzi Gaynor herself, um, who still looks good, and um, she looks at the the, the, the origins of the stage musical, then the movie, and uh, looks at the themes explored in the story of South Pacific. And we also hear from the surviving cast and crew, as well as people who were seabees uh, on the, um, the Hawaiian islands during the war. There's a, a black and white promo, um, the making of South Pacific, which was uh, made a around about the time, back in 1958. Uh, It gives us a bit of a time travel trip to see how the world was at the time of the movie's release. And there's also quite an interesting 60 Minutes exclusive, uh, The Tales of the South Pacific. It's a a colour TV documentary. Uh, It looks like it might have been from the 70s, and it also looks like it's been transferred from a VHS tape, um, presented by a lady called Diane Sawyer, and it covers... The writer of the original book, *The Tales of the South Pacific*, it covers his trip back to the island where he was based during World War Two. Uh, I think that that's an interesting little film. Yes. We've got a couple of clips excerpts from movie Tone news covering the premiere of the the movie and we also have a very interesting um, section of vintage stage show excerpts so this is from the original stage or the original stage show with Mary Martin and Enzio pinza uh, this would be back from forty nine fifty um and the perform two or three of the numbers it's a tele recording which they used to produce by pointing a film camera at a high res uh, for the time TV screen we've also got a screen test believe it or not, someone's found the original screen test and transferred it in high def uh, it's gone magenta with the age as most film stocks well some do, mostly the Eastman Colour based stuff um, it turns pink and um she performs the song A Cockeyed Optimist. To round it off, we've got the original theatrical trailer so you can see what they looked like in the cinemas. Um, all in all, I'd say it, it, it's, it's a cracking film. There's a, a few things, if, if you're not used to it and you don't know it, that will catch you by surprise. Well, hopefully if you, you've listened to this or read the review, that won't catch you by as much of a surprise as it did me. Uh, but it's 50, year, 50 years old, this movie, and I think it deserves a certain amount of respect. And certainly the people who've done the transfer and produced this package have done so. So it's really a must-have for all movie musical fans.
1: So, Alan, uh, how well does this movie stand up um, in today's society? And, uh, I mean, it's a film I've never seen. I've I've never bothered with it. So um, am I likely to get some enjoyment out of it on Blu-ray?
3: I think you'd get a fair fair amount of interest, Phil, because I know you're a sort of technical chap, and uh, I think you'd be just as puzzled as I am, or I was when I saw suddenly, during a musical number, the, the screen going totally red. And I... I thought, what the? (laughs) I just couldn't understand it. But also, you probably uh, like the fact or like the strangeness of someone choosing a musical to get across um, a very strong uh, anti-racist message. Um, To me, it totally surprised me. I could not understand anybody doing it. But afterwards... that's the way to access people's intelligence when they're relaxed, when they're enjoying themselves. It seemed out of place, uh, but certainly it makes you think. And I guess when this came out in America in 1958, racism was pretty rife. And it probably needed someone to prick the consciences there at the time.
1: And Chris, you being a a bit of a movie buff, um, how does the musicals play with you and, and have you seen this one?
4: I have seen it, yes, um, but a long, long time ago. Everything very colourful, very vivid, and also a little bit daft. I'm not a musical fan. Now, this one in particular um, has a, a problem for me because my mum's an actress, and she's been in two different stage versions of this, uh, one of which I saw at a very young age. and it. <laughs> she's very good, by the way, but I... I it, it, it didn't do me any favors watching me I'm on stage like that. So um, I've kind of avoided it ever since. And for that reason, a lot of musicals too. Uh, I think probably the only one I could really tolerate would be Sweeney Todd. Um, But uh, I do remember it being colorful and vivid and, you know, the whole happy talky thing, you know, uh, but I, I can't imagine I'd ever actually get this version Although I respectfully agree, it's, it's probably um, a, a great film to watch, a very enjoyable experience. But it's, I've got reasons why I, I, I can't sit through it. I can, see, I can just see me mum there, and I'm not going to tell you what part you played, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, no, uh, it, it's not for me, I'm afraid.
1: And uh, I mean, Chris raises quite a valid point there, Alan. I mean, we, we've started to see the musical come back again um, over the last few years, Moulin Rouge, and. Uh, Mamma Mia and, and of course, Sweeney Todd. So uh, how does the the old-fashioned musical stand up against this new breed of musical?
3: Well, I would say it's a a thing of its time, and that's why we use the term classic. Um, It has its own values. Um, I think if you view it in context and know when it was released and know um, what it's trying to do... um, I think uh, film buffs and fans of movie musicals will, will enjoy it because of that.
4: Oh, Surely, yeah. F-
3: yeah, for people coming to it afresh, I think it will be a pleasant surprise.
4: Hopefully, so. The thing about a musical tends to be for those that really either can't get into them or, you know, or just oh, they switch off right away. It's because when, once you've got a plot going, you introduce your characters, and all of a sudden you lapse into song. Uh, And it it takes you completely out of the fictional story into a different and more heightened uh, fantasy land. Because all of a sudden, you just switch off for the next five, ten minutes, depending on how long the song and routine goes on for. And it loses it. Now, it's lost me in the past. And I loved Moulin Rouge. I was really, really surprised that I was taken in by that. Because it's a musical. I'm not going to watch this. But I did. And I was blown away by it. And I've watched it numerous times since went out and bought the soundtrack. But I'm still not a fan of musicals. And then Sweet Todd came along. Now, admittedly, I was more swayed by the fact that it was a gory horror story. Um, but I love the songs as well. <laughs> and it's not enough to transform it into a musical fan. Um, I think the damage <laughs> mum's performances has, have done to me um, is far too set in stone for me to, to exercise those particular demons. But, um, yeah there's a there's a different vibe if you can't get into a musical then the reasons are probably you know too much to overcome so you either either if you like theatrical productions or stage productions of course you're going to love this it's a new medium but it's um you know it's a fabulous presentation it does a movie musical does things that a stage musical cannot possibly do i.e. the effects the locations and um, the sheer scale of something but stage musicals, and I've seen, I have seen a fair few, my wife loves musicals and stage shows, so I have been dragged to a few of these things, although reluctantly, and I kind of like, look away, and oh dear, um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm trying to put fingers in my ears, but that old thing that I said before about, it takes you out of the uh, the narrative environment for the spell of the song, yeah, that that's a problem for a lot of people. I, yeah, I think. that that
3: applies that applies to any musical really, um, yeah. and, you know, um, and it, I think a lot of it depends on how well the song fits into the context of the story. Um, I, I mean, I, I felt certainly the songs in, in uh, South Pacific did fit the, the story pretty well. Um, but there were also classic songs. There were songs that I'd known about, but I didn't know wh- where they came from. Uh, yeah. You know, I, th- I, th- I think I knew, I knew Bally High came from this movie, but that was the only one. And it was a great surprise to hear. Um, you know things like "Some Enchanted Evening," and I knew that there's nothing like a dame came from it uh, because I was seeing the the Markham and Wise send up of it. Uh, but younger than Springtime, that was a real surprise to me, and it's really nice um, the the way it's done. But you know, I, I guess you got to have a soft spot for musicals as well. But uh, you know, it, it's, this is a chance to see it uh, in a quality that you. Otherwise, probably wouldn't, you know, without without high-definition uh, video. Uh, we'd still be watching it on a, a, a ropey television, you know, a, a, a badly transferred print with tram line running down it. But this gives us a chance to see it as good as it could possibly be, I think.
1: And us, talk, yeah. talking about the technical side, obviously there was a lot... Uh, that went into this, so m- maybe you can cover that bit.
3: Yeah, um, well, this movie was actually shot uh, in a process called Todd O which is a, a a high definition widescreen process. Um, it used 65 mil film, 65 uh, millimeter wide film. Um, so, because the you know most films these days are shot in 35 mil, which is about half the half the width, so using a larger negative area you you doubled or quadrupled the picture area and therefore you get a sharper image, more dense image and it it just looks better Um, you could project it on a much bigger screen without having grain like golf balls Um, so when they shot it in this large format film they then printed it from 65 mil onto 70, 70 millimeter film stock for release, uh, which was even wider. And of course, anyone who can do maths knows that if you subtract 65 off a of 70, you've got five mil left, uh, two and a half mil aside, and that gives you enough room to put in six track magnetic sound stripe, so you can have your six track stereo on it as well. So there were benefits there in the sound department. That was of its time. There, uh, there was only, I think, the last film to be shot in. Toddy O was a film called Baraka fairly recently and probably will be the last one. So for this Blu-ray release, 20th Century Fox went to Photochem. They're a large facility in uh, Burbank in California. That facility has got a 65mm scanner and it has a high speed 4K transfer capability. So what they've actually produced is an image that looks significantly better than what could have been achieved by just using a 65mm high def telecine so the the image that we're actually getting to see is the very best available today and um, and i think the fact that they've gone to all these lengths to give us the 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 best and taken all this care with the movie uh means it's a special movie and it, you know it probably demands our attention to have a look at it at least and see what we think
1: Okay, well, uh, our thanks to Alan and Chris for their reviews this month. And uh, just to wrap up the podcast, we'll be back in a few seconds with what's coming up on the AV Forums Movies website. Uh, uh, people with brains visit
0: AVforums.com. The latest news, the biggest features, and the best reviews this is the av forums podcast
1: so to wrap up on april's movies podcast it's what's coming up on the website for the rest of this month and uh, let's go to chris first chris what have you got coming
4: okay well i've got um the uk blu-ray of ghosts of mars john Carman is much maligned um you know, another one of his meteoric decline in in you know successful you know movie making. Uh, Francois Truffaut's The 400 Blows, a Criterion classic there. That's uh, uh, an American uh, Blu-ray. Uh, what else do I have? I have 80s classic stupid-ass um, action extravaganza Tango and Cash. Clive Barker's awesome Hellraiser. Cannot wait for that one. Love Barker's early stuff. Um, well, he made this, so you know we're in for good, a good time. Um, the Tale of Despero, uh, animated mouse um Antics. No idea what this is meant to be like, um, but looking forward to seeing it nonetheless. And I will be doing the usual slew of um, soundtrack score reviews as well.
1: Excellent, and uh, we'll move to George. what have you got
4: coming up?
2: I've got um, Brotherhood, or Guk G, from our uh, new sponsors over at Yes Asia. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, I've also got Bolt, which is the um, animated new animated feature from... Disney Pixar, uh, I've got Milk coming up in which Sean Penn really was fantastic in that and interestingly Sean Penn will also be starring in the remake of The Three Stooges with Benicio Del Toro and Jim Carrey in 2010 so that will be interesting. We've also got uh, American History X coming up with uh, Edward Norton, X-Men 1 and 2 which I'm really looking forward to seeing how they fare on Blu-ray and the Toshiki Amike classic Ichi the Killer.
3: And Alan what have you got? Yeah, I've got um, the UK version of Body of Lies, the Ridley Scott thriller uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Following that, I've got American in Paris, Gene Kelly's uh, classic uh, Hollywood musical. Uh, Frost Nixon's the next one on the agenda. Uh, Our very own Michael Sheen, uh, showing what a fantastic job he can do of uh, playing people who are still alive. Uh, Also stars Frank Langella as, as Nixon who uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a couple of excellent performances there. Um, rounding off my lot at the moment, we have the Seven Year Itch, the Marilyn Monroe classic, so it'll be nice to see
5: that lot.
1: And Simon, what else do we have coming up on the website this month?
5: Mark, he'll be, he'll be looking at um, some Yes, Asia this He's looking at IP Man. He's looking at Red Cliff, which is um, John Roo's, uh latest epic. He, uh, back to his sword and, sword and sandal, if you like, um, Terrific film. I've actually seen it myself. Really, really good. Really looking forward to that review. He's also um, looking at As Tears Go By, which I think is imminently going to be um, posted actually at the, at the time of uh, talking. Um, Kaz will be looking at Sin City um, which I think is going to look incredible on Blu-ray and was um, fantastic when it was on DVD so uh, really looking forward to that he's also got Bedtime Stories coming and the uh, Oscar winning The Wrestler he's looking at that one as well Imran is going to be looking at £7 that's Will Smith's latest one that's coming to him he's also looking at another Oscar winner Slumdog Millionaire he uh, sort of won the prize, won the Oscar for getting that one, um, and he's really looking forward to doing it. And I'm looking to f- forward to uh, hearing his review on it. Keith will be looking at the th- the UK edition of the X-Men trilogy box set, which is coming to uh, to our shores very very soon. Um, all new spanking um, editions, two disc editions: X-Men one, two, and three. Less than about three, the better, I guess. But certainly one and two are well worth looking at. I, I like so, that uh, you like part three well someone especially if it's an all-new spending edition <laughs> <laughs> it was you yeah all right you were the one who went to see it fair enough <laughs> so that's um he's that's what he's looking at so uh all good stuff So excellent stuff there. Uh, That's where to get your movie reviews,
1: avforums.com forward slash movies and uh, read the guys' reviews that are coming up. So all I need to do is thank the guys. So thank you guys for taking part tonight. And if you have any feedback or you want to add your own uh, pieces to the conversation, then you can do so in the Av Forums podcast forum under this podcast. So that's it for April's edition
0: of the Movies Podcast, and we will be back again in May. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.